Hey guys, it's Mina. Before we get started with today's show, wanted to remind you to check out the SV Pod with Scott Van Pelt. SVP was in South Carolina for Phil Mickelson's historic PGA win at age 50. He'll put the feet in perspective and share great stories from his time at Kiowa. Check out the SV Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Also, The Ultimate Fighter, the reality show that brings top MMA prospects together under one roof to compete for a UFC contract, is back. Stream the season premiere on Tuesday, June 1st, only on ESPN+. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Welcome to the Bina Kime Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks that playoff P is what happens when you don't want your mom to know that you relieved yourself in the house. That's Lenny. There's layers to that joke. You got to kind of really think it over. Play off P. Just, you know, I don't want to spell it out for you guys, but um, I'm going to jump right in because I sense my guest today is not in the mood for laughs. Otherwise, I'm sure he would have cracked up at that open. Uh, So I invited Charles McDonald, frequent guest, you guys know him, on the show once their reports emerged, shall we say, that the Falcons were considering trading Julio Jones last week. This is a story that has developed rapidly to the point where five, five minutes before we started taping, um, this isn't it, the, the brilliance of this. And it's there's a lot of uh, lack of clarity around the revelation, whether Julio Jones maybe knew he was on television. Well, I'm sure we'll find that out by the time this show is out. But there's no speculation required because Julio Jones himself said on Undisputed to Shannon Sharp on Fox Sports 1 that he wants out, not to the Cowboys. My only regret, Charles, is that this didn't happen while you and I were taping so I could have gotten your real-time reaction. Uh, I think that might have been bad because it probably would have all had been bleeped out. Uh, but, yeah, this is – for Falcons fans, this is a solemn day. Today is a funeral. <laughs> uh, Julio Jones has said that he wants out, whether he knew he was on live television or not. <laughs> Uh, I think he's made his uh, feelings pretty clear. And just to sit back for a second and think how we got to this point where the Falcons are trading, to me at least, unquestionably the best player in franchise history Hmm. is just wholly embarrassing on the entire organization. Ooh, okay. We're going to talk about that. We're going to unpack how we got here, what it means for the Falcons, where Julio Jones might go. And then I promise we're going to talk about non-Falcons related topics, um, including the rookie running backs, training as wide receivers, the AFC South, some stuff like that. But first we're going to talk about the Falcons because originally, Charles, I was planning on asking you the question of like, okay, should the Falcons trade Julio? Because I, and I put out a lot of content about around this. I was confused by the, logic behind Atlanta trading Julio like I understand that they have zero dollars in cap space but it didn't make sense to me that the move was to trade Julio probably for a depressed price which we can talk about rather than giving Grady Jarrett who's the best defensive player they've got a contract extension to make you know it's not a lot of money that we're talking about um and so it didn't make sense to me and especially again given that they didn't that they didn't draft a quarterback. So like the message we were getting was, okay, this is a team that needs cap space and they're rebuilding on one hand. But then on the other hand, they drafted a tight end fourth overall. It's the highest a tight end has ever been drafted. 
So to, the vision for this team seemed to be let's go, you know, all systems go on offense. And so uh, setting aside the Julio wanting out, which adds a, I actually think gives a lot of clarity to the story. Yeah. Absent that, it didn't make sense to me. Yeah. I mean, t- to me, I guess going into the offseason, there were really two paths that the Falcons could have gone that that would have both made sense to me. Like if you're Arthur Smith and you're someone that has just completely revitalized the career of Ryan Tannehill and kind of, you know, turned that Titans offense into a straight juggernaut over the past couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. If I was him, I would be looking at this like, hey, like if I can do this with uh, Ryan Tannehill and Corey Davis and A.J. Brown, I could definitely do this with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. And if uh, I'm in a spot where I can uh, add an, another elite talent at the top of the draft with Kyle Pitts to kind of round out like this three-headed monstrous receiving core as I enter my first year as the head coach, like that's obviously something that you'll be interested in if you believe in yourself as a coach. But on the other hand, like you could take this long-term view, uh, like we have the fourth pick in the draft in a four-quarterback class, so we're kind of guaranteed to get one of these guys that's uh, projected to be a long-term starting quarterback. And whether they sit behind Matt Ryan for a year or if you trade him, uh, you know, getting that long-term guy and then maybe shipping off some other pieces as we uh, try to build this for the next coming years, like both of those paths make sense. And like you said, it seemed like they were just going to go all in. Let's win now. Let's try to squeeze the last that we can out of the Matt Ryan seasons. Uh, and I, I don't know, just try to have some fun. Like, I don't think that that's uh, such an egregious plan, but with this Julio trade, it kind of, or, or, you know, what seems to be coming, it's like they're one foot in, one foot out. And mm. I don't really see how you're supposed to maximize this by trading, you know, one of the top three receivers in the game. Because I think one thing that's been misconstrued by people who are talking about this Julio trade is, you know, I don't really think that Julio is a diminished version of himself uh, based on what we saw last season from him. Like, sure. He's lost a step, but the step that he was starting with ran a 4-3 with a broken foot at the combine and broke, like, basically every athletic metric that you can think of in 2011. So he's still someone that uh, I think can be a bona fide dominant number one receiver, and it's just kind of bizarre the way that this has played out where you're one foot in rebuilding, one foot out, and it just kind of seems like you're not going to end up with the best version of your team that you can this year. Right, like 80% Julio is still a top, 10 to 15 wide receiver in the NFL. Um, I think like I, I, it did seem like once the Falcons had restructured Matt Ryan way before the draft, that made it less likely they were going to draft a quarterback because with the restructuring, it made it difficult to get out of Matt Ryan's deal for two years. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was mixed about the Falcons taking a quarterback. I said, I think this, there's a bunch of different directions this team could go in. Um, because of the restructure. And then because of the fact that I don't think they were as bad as their record last year. In fact, they had the without grading wins of a 7.5 win team. But I understand the argument that, okay, this team is so stacked on offense. Like Calvin Ridley, I believe, is a true number one. He's probably one, I think he's one of the more underrated players in the NFL. Um, And then you draft Kyle Pitts. Like this team is very loaded on offense and has a lot of problems on defense. And, you know, what if we could just spread... Like, what if we could reallocate our resources a little bit to improve the defense? Yeah. I question whether, like, they might get less than they got for most the new, Charles. Like, right. that is very right. likely. And that's why this whole thing is such a disaster to me. Like, it's it's less about 
trading Julio Jones, which I don't like, but you know, whatever I can see the arguments for, it's more like you're probably going to trade him for a diminished return. Yeah. They, they, they screw this up big time. I, and the, the, uh, another problem is like, they can't even really afford to bring on an impact defensive player because part of the reason why they have to trade him is just yes. to get their right. draft class on the roster. And, you know, we, we talked about there's other ways that you could do that. You could restructure Grady Jarrett uh, if he doesn't want to take a contract extension because I would understand why Grady would not want to take a contract extension right now. I mean, I think his deal expires after the next season, then he'll be up when the cap explodes again. So I get why he wouldn't want to do that. But, I mean, for you to find yourself where – all right, we didn't trade Julio before the draft. Maybe before the draft, you could have convinced one of these teams at the bottom of the first round to give you a first round pick and mm. then immediately add someone that's going to help you. Uh, you know, with that first round pick, you get you take Kyle Pitts at four, get someone else, the defensive player at the bottom of the first round sucks, but maybe you can, you know, rationalize that a little bit. But now, you know, we're talking about a second round pick, a third round pick, like second round pick plus like a six round swap. And Mm. that's just not something that's <laughs> obviously like the draft has gone by. So those are going to be 2022 picks and like you're trading Julio to actively just get worse for the 2021 season. Uh, after you restructured Matt Ryan, basically locking him for two more years. I just, I don't understand how you come through this and end up trading Julio for day two picks and feel like, all right, we did a good job here because yeah. by all, like you said, they might trade him for less than they got for most new. And most new is, you know, he had a great time in Atlanta and he had some fun yeah. years, but he, he ain't Julio Jones, man. And it's just, okay. it, it's, it's just kind of crazy. The most new trade, by the way, underrated W for whatever you think about Thomas Dimitrov. <laughs> that was, they, he fleeced the hell out of Bill Belichick on that one. Yeah. Let's give him his flowers for that. Um, yeah, because if they had done this before the draft, you know, they could have gotten, there's all these pass rushers that win at the end of the first, beginning of the second. Um, you know, like your Greg Rousseau's, for example, um, Aziz Ajular, like guys who really could have helped this year for a team that needs help uh, on that front seven. Uh, well, they need help a lot of places on defense, but definitely you can. There's so many players. Trevon Trevon Merrig would have been a great Falcon. <laughs> Sorry, this is really brutal. Um, I know something I hate about this. Aaron Rodgers story and like the conversation around it is like, we're being asked to give our, like to judge emotions like, Oh, is Aaron Rodgers right or wrong to be angry? I don't know. Like we can talk about the football moves and whatever and how they've equipped him. But like, if the dude hates a guy there, like Brian Gutekunst or whatever, I, there's nothing I can say about that. And so if, if Julio wants out, I don't have an opinion about that. Uh, what yeah. we do have opinions about the process of it, right? Like how this was managed. And it seems like that's what you're most upset about is like the timing of this seems like the worst possible, like unless Julio was like, I love this team until like 10 days ago, it seems like this was horribly mismanaged uh, from a Falcons perspective in terms of optimizing the roster. Yeah. And I get that part of it is, you know, the financial issues where you kind of have to you know, like, I guess at this point, you know, you have to wait until June 1st to 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 make a trade. But, you know, now as we sit here and uh, we look back at the Falcons offseason, it just seems like this was just totally reactive. And they and they just just really it's like if you trade Julio, you got a lot worse this offseason because think about the free agent signings that they made. They didn't have much money. So 
you know, you're walking into the season with your your top three edge rotation is like Dante Fowler, Barkevius Mingo, Brandon Copeland. You got rookies uh, starting in the secondary. You're probably going to have uh, Richie Grant starting at free safety. You know, this is not a team that got significantly better through additions that they made in the offseason. So it, it's just like you're you're taking a major step back on where you were last year. And then if you're going to do that, it's like, why are you bringing back, you know, a 36-year-old quarterback for two more years? Why not just blow the whole mm. thing up from the start? And to me, like, that was the the issue kind of with, with restructuring Matt Ryan in the first place. But at the time, like, I didn't think that restructuring Matt Ryan would still end <laughs> in a Julio Jones trade. Like, we're, we're, it seems like we're headed towards. And honestly, like, if, if this is a situation where Julio kind of wants out, I guess that makes me feel a little bit better that maybe right. it's not totally the, the front office, like fumbling this, but it's I more mean, logical. Get, <laughs> yeah. It, it's more logical. Like, it, but just to think about the moves that kind of took place to get here. I mean, signing James Carpenter, and Jamon Brown, in the 2019 off season, mm-hmm. those signings obviously did not work out. They're sitting on the cap space right now. Uh, you end up cutting Desmond Trufant. He's sitting on the cap space right now. So you kind of look at some of these moves and you're like, man, like if they just, kind of didn't get overzealous and say we want 330 pound guards because big guards mean we can run the ball better uh back in 2019 that you probably have enough money to sign a rookie class right now uh and it's just kind of hard to parse that you end up losing the best player in franchise history because of uh because of these mistakes but you know i, I don't i don't really know where the front office goes from here i guess like you sign your rookie class and say Toodles, and we do a little Twitter video, but it just feels like such an unsatisfactory ending for you know, like like I said, the greatest player in franchise history just gets such a small return for him. Yeah, uh, well, you know, we're speculating, but we don't we're know. But right, yeah, but it it feels like if there was a big return in the works, the like I don't know tone around this might be a little bit different. I mean, so let's talk about that. Who who the trade partner might be. Um, from the perspective of like the teams that should be in on it. Um, so Field Yates shared the financials. I think it's worth mentioning because some of the teams being mentioned have either, like as much money as the Falcons. So <laughs> that's something that needs to be considered. 2021, uh, they would owe Julio $15.3 million guaranteed, which is, you know, the Falcons cap savings. 2022, 11.5 with only two guaranteed. 2023, 11.5. So it's a good deal for the acquiring team. That's three years, $38 million, and only. Like a one year deal almost. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's very little guaranteed. So uh, a lot of teams should be interested. (laughs) Um, I mean, so it was, I can't remember who broke the news, but it was reported that Julio himself was interested in the Falcons, the report, or the, pardon me, the Panther, ah, Patriots. The report was that uh, he felt Matt Ryan had lost a bit of zing on his ball, which um don't know if you watched many Pats games last year, Julio. But uh, from a football and financial perspective, setting aside the abilities of the quarterback, don't mean to diminish Cameron Newton, who I, I'm a big fan of, um, it makes a lot of sense. They need a wide receiver, They, despite acquiring all those tight ends. So pretty lacking there. And they also, I think, have the money to afford it. So Pats, to me, should be a leader in the clubhouse. Yeah, Pats make sense. Uh, they make sense, but not for the reason that's like being floated out there because yeah, he wants to play with Cam Newton, but 
just based on the history with rookie quarterbacks, like outside of yeah. Patrick Mahomes, like Mac Jones is probably going to end up playing at some point this year. So I don't know. That one uh, doesn't quite make a whole lot of sense to me. But obviously, like that would be a huge uh, upgrade for uh, the Patriots. And I mean, like if you can get someone like Julio Jones, even if it's just for a one year, that's worth at least trying. Like let's say that he actually is, you know, over the hill and he's washed in this uh, injury that he had last year just took everything out of him. It's still worth trading like a, a second or third round pick or maybe yeah. both just to find out. Uh, and I think, you know, one team that that I would like to see would be the 49ers just kind of uh, reunite Shanahan with uh, Julio Jones. I mean, that pairing was absolutely electric. And if you're the 49ers, you got a nice little stable of receivers with, you know, Debo and Brandon Ayuk, but I don't think any of those guys can really, you know, dominate coverages the way that Julio Jones can. And in the event that George Kittle suffers another injury, like you still have a top flight passing target out there on the field. And I think that that's something they'd be able to afford. It would definitely, that would probably be like the last move that they can make this off season for the 49ers. And maybe you have to free up a little bit of room to go uh, sign the rest of your rookie class. But that'd be really enticing to me if I'm Kyle Shanahan. He's already been collecting former Falcons on offense. Like he's got uh, Alex Mack. He had Tevin Coleman last year. Mohamed Sanu's on the roster right now. So that's clearly not someone, something that he's, you know, afraid Mm. of. But I I, like just for me personally, and for what it could kind of mean for uh, Trey Lance's development, I would love to see him end up in San Francisco. Yeah. And, um, they don't have first-round picks, but apparently it doesn't matter as it pertains to Julio. Did Julio have his, his best year with Shanahan, the 2016 season? Was that Julio's best season? I mean, I mean, no one else uh, Matt Ryan's. That that was the year that he had 300 yards versus the Panthers, so I'm going to go ahead and say that. Yeah. Um, I, I was just revisiting the Randy Moss trade for the Pats, and I forgot that it was just a fourth, so jeez. Um, another team I think that makes a lot of sense is Indy, Um, team that's really lacking – uh, and wide receivers. I know they brought back T.Y. Hilton. They have Michael Pitton Jr., who's okay. But, you know, they. I, I, I think if they're really going to rehabilitate Carson Wentz's career, um, Julio would be like the splash move. This is a team that has avoided splash moves, aside from the DeForest Buckner trade, has money. I think they have like the second or third most cap space still. Oh, no, they're fifth or sixth now, whatever. Um, I think... You know, they, obviously they went and got Eric Fisher, but we don't know he's going to play. I just think there's a team that like really didn't address skill player in the draft. And I think back to Carson Wentz's good years with Frank Reich when, let's see, it was Alshon Jeffrey was the number one in 2017, right? I'm not wrong. The oh, uh, yeah, I think so. quote unquote MVP season. Yeah. So I just think that that team makes a lot of sense uh the other one i would throw out people keep saying the titans they don't have any money they obviously have the need um they'd have to clear out a ton of cap space i mean they're number two i felt bad i I sent this to you that (laughs) (laughs) on air that someone mentioned that they, you know, they got a Rams receiver and I was like, Josh Reynolds. I mean, I like Josh Reynolds, but like, you know, that's, yeah. And I think maybe even another team that could work out if they were, you know, feeling frisky and aggressive, Cleveland, like that makes sense. Like if they could, like they have the money to do it. Uh, And Mm. like I say, it's like like 31 teams should be calling about this. If you can get a 
less than a first round pick, I just don't see why any team wouldn't be in. I mean, if even if you're the Chiefs, like let's figure out some salary cap magic and oh, see, see if we can make this thing work. I, I mean, it, it's oh. worth it. Glowing, like no matter where you are as a team, like shoot, even if I was the Jaguars, like I'd be thinking about it too. Jaguars, get, yeah, right. Trevor Trevor Lawrence in there. The, the Jets should be thinking about it. I mean, every single team on the planet, including the Falcons, could use someone like Julio Jones uh, on their roster and. You know, we're at this point where you can get him at such a discount compared to the, the caliber of player that he is. I mean, a second round pick, like you're not, you're you're never going to find someone that good in the second round. We're talking about someone at the time when he came out of Alabama was like him and AJ Green were two of the best receiver prospects of all time. So, uh, it, it's you know, as a Falcons fan, it's disheartening, and I keep coming back to that. But if you're a fan of a team in the NFL, I just don't see any logic behind not exploring a trade for Julio Jones. I mean, we, we've all, we've already seen that the Ravens have, you know, they basically tried to have negotiations with the Falcons, but their, their price wasn't high enough. And now they might have to settle for something like that if Julio is actually going to make a push himself to get out of here. Washington is another team I feel like should consider it. I mean, this is what confuses me, Charles. Like, okay, so – the t- price tag should be about supply and demand. And you and I seem to agree that the demand is a zillion teams. So the price tag <laughs> one would think would be higher at, you know, at least like a high second. Um, well, you know, can't, uh, can't know that, but, or, you know, like at least I realize you can't get an impact player because of the cap stuff. Although if, again, like if Atlanta was trying to compete, one would think, okay, let's get that impact player. I don't know, Stefan Gilmore or whatever. And then let's restructure Grady Jarrett. Like if, if the Falcons, let's say they traded for Stefan Gilmore and restructured Grady Jarrett to make him fit. I don't know what Stefan Gilmore's contract is. I don't have it in front of me. It's probably a lot. Um, it's probably comparable to Julio, right? Anyways, yeah. like that team is competitive, don't you mm-hmm. think? It's, I think it could be. I, I think the team, as is currently set up right now, uh, with Julio Jones theoretically on the roster, could be competitive. Because if I'm the Falcons and I'm looking at the rest of the NFC South, like I don't see why I can't finish in you know second place. Uh, the Panthers, I mean, maybe they could be frisky, but I personally would not be, uh, I, I guess, counting myself out because they traded for Sam Darnold. Uh, and the pan and the Saints, like I know that I know they lost to Taysom Hill twice last year, but you know I don't see why I wouldn't be able to compete with that, and especially since the Saints secondary is pretty thin, especially a corner across from Lattimore. So, uh, it, it's just kind of weird because you know the more that I think about it, like I, I personally I really wanted them to pick a quarterback at four because I thought you know we talked about before like Justin Fields, he's a great quarterback prospect mm-hmm. and he would be a, a pretty good fit in Arthur Smith's offense and. Uh, but you didn't. And the more I thought about it, like, that's fine because I don't see why the Falcons couldn't be a playoff uh, team with the current construction of Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts with Arthur Smith pulling the strings. Like, that's a really attractive option to have for your team. Uh, and now, like, you almost have to think, like, well, what does Kyle Pitts role turn into? Like, is he going to be asked to do more than maybe he can handle as a fourth overall pick? Because uh, he's probably going to be asked to slide into some of those sets where Julio will be playing. I mean, it, it just kind of changes the whole dynamic of what the ceiling of this Atlanta offense can be. Because, you know, Calvin Ridley's the number one receiver. Pace is probably going to be a dynamic tight end. But 
you know, if you had Julio, I think you could probably get back to being potentially get back to being a top five offense. Uh, I think there is a perception that the Atlanta defense is terrible. They actually finished 14th in DVOA last year, 19th versus the pass, uh, sixth against the run, which shocked me. I do think like that it was a really interesting group because they were like they were so erratic. I think of like the Chiefs game where all of a sudden like the pass rush was incredible. Um, and you, you like with the secondary, you'd have like games where like at the AJ Terrell looked like really promising and then games where he looked really terrible. So right now, you know, he, he's still there. I do not. Oh, Kendall Sheffield. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Yeah. Um, and Isaiah Oliver. They, they signed Fabian Morrow. That's kind of a sneaky, interesting signing. Um, Foye Olokun, Pride of Yale, Deion Jones, Dante Fowler, Grady Jarrett. They brought back Dean Pease, who resurfaced Jay-Z style out of retirement. Do you think, like, do you think the Falcons' defense is going to be better this year? Um, I, I, I think the best case scenario for them is kind of like, if you can play like that fourth team three defense all season, I think that's not yeah. a really bad outcome for them. Because I will say this. Last year, after uh, you know Dan Quinn got fired and Raheem Morris and Jeff Obrick got to put a bigger imprint of their own ideas on the defense, I thought just the way that it was structured was just a lot better. I mean, they 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 weren't sitting back and letting things happen to them. Uh, they were kind of forced in the action with a lot of blitzes. Like if you go back and watch that Raiders game from last year where they just pummeled Derek Carr, I mean the the timing, the structure. Uh, the effectiveness of that blitz game. AJ Terrell came on, I, th- I thought, as a you know a pretty decent man corner uh, by the end of the season. Like I think some of the, the pieces are a little bit underrated. Uh, and honestly, you know Isaiah Oliver last year just they stuck him in the slot and randomly like mm-hmm. he was really good at that. Even though I don't think that's really anything that people projected him to be coming out of Colorado, but he kind of figured it out there. The spot that 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 worries me the most is really just like. <laughs> non-Grady Jarrett pass rushers. Yeah. Because, uh, like Grady's, Grady's great. I think in a world where Aaron Donald doesn't exist, you can make a case where he could potentially be the best uh, defensive tackle in the league. Like he's in that conversation. But outside of him, Dante Fowler's coming off the year where he had, he had to take a pay cut. Uh, the rest of the guys, like I said, they're just on one year, like vet minimum deals. Uh, I, I think that this year for the Falcons defense, that secondary is really going to be tested because in order for them to get pressure, I think they're going to have to send Deion Jones and Foyer on blitzes. And, you know, Foyer, I thought he was awesome on blitzes that last year, but, you know, just simple math, you're dropping the guy out of coverage. So the rest of the guys are going to have some stress on them. So I'm a, I, I, I do think it's reasonable, reasonable for them to be an average defense this year. If Dean Pease is like, as good as I think he is, but the floor is really, really low on his defense. Yeah, probably blitz more. Um, so I also they drafted Richie Grant too, who I like uh, the UCF safety. Um, so assuming Julio's gone, I have a lot of trouble ranking the rest of the NFC South. Like looking at after the Bucks, whatever you know, obviously in a tier of their own. When you look at the Saints, the Falcons, and the Panthers rosters. You can really make a case for any of these teams finishing in any order, in my mm-hmm. mind. Like, like you said, the Saints. I, I, last week, Dominique Foxworth and I ranked defenses, and I still kept the Saints in the top ten because 
they still have really good players at every level. The problem is they just lost, uh, you know, the cornerback's an issue, and then they lost depth, right? So it feels like an injury is going to take that defense out. And then on offense, who the heck knows what we're going to get out of James Winston. There's totally a case to be made where the offense is more explosive. There's also a case to be made where, obviously, they turn the ball over a lot more. So that's an issue. They did not add another wide receiver, which I thought was confusing. Um and then with the Panthers again, it's like okay, is the Matt Ryan or the pardon me, the Sam Darnold redemption process going to work? I don't know. He's obviously in a better situation. Defense, a lot of young players, a lot of interesting talent. Drafted J.C. Horn. I like the Hassan Reddick signing. Bolstered. I mean, you. I could see a case for this um, Panthers defense, which was really better than it had. And you know, they signed A.J. Bouye. Wow, I'm looking at the draft chart. The yeah. draft I could see a case for them taking a leap forward as well. I still think the whole roster is still a year away. And, but again, I really think any of these teams could finish in any order. Yeah. Like I, I feel like the bucks are cemented number one, but you know, the Falcons could fin- finish second through fourth. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like it really just is wide open in that division. And now, you know, with seven playoff spots, like that could be enough to, to get you in. Uh, as a wild card team, which you know, I don't, I, I think any year you can get into the playoffs is a is a pretty good thing. Uh, so that's just another reason why it's so confusing to me, like how you end up in this spot where you're going to make yourself less competitive in a year when it seems like anyone can kind of go and run in the NFC South. And who knows? I mean, I, I, I'm going to be careful here, but who knows? Maybe even Tom Brady could take a step back this year, and uh, and you know, you could be a little feisty with the Bucks. I'm not saying like you finished number one, but maybe you can steal one of those games that you did in last year. So, uh, you know, the NFC South is wide open. I'm I'm personally really interested to see what that Panthers offense looks like because I really like it, it's hard not to like the weapons that they have there, especially if yeah. Christian McCaffrey stay healthy. Uh, and I guess like there's a part of me like from still from covering the Jets that thinks that Sam Darnold could possibly figure this out like in a, a spot maybe where the spotlight isn't so bright and he's got some weapons again. He's reunited with Robbie Anderson and they had some, uh, a pretty special chemistry. I thought, uh, during the Adam Gase here. So you're getting that back. Uh, that that's the one team, like not just in the MC South, but in the entire NFC that I'm pretty interested in seeing. Yeah. Well, speaking of Christian McCaffrey, we're going to talk a little bit about running backs and catching passes, but before we do that, we're going to take a quick break and answer some of your questions. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. As you guys know, NFL teams can make mistakes when it comes to spending money. For example... Cover years, Broncos fans. Russell Wilson has a $53 million cap hit this year. <laughs> but uh, unlike the uh, Walton family, I'm guessing people listening to this podcast don't have millions to spend. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. Get at me. But when it comes to a great shave, 
you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and they decided to do something better. They found their own way to make a beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. They have customizable delivery options for scheduled refills as low as $2, which is half of what you pay for big brands. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best does not mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash M-I-N-A. That's harrys.com slash Mina for a $3 trial set. Thank you, as always, guys, for your incredible iTunes reviews. I really enjoy them. Read them all. Even the incredibly long question here about Tim Kirchin watching Mayor of Easttown. Do you watch Mayor of Easttown, Charles? Uh, no, no. Okay. We'll skip that one then. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, no, I, I really appreciate it. Great questions. And so we'll start. We'll just answer a few of them before getting back to uh, – some of the things going on in the NFL. Jdunk123 asks me, why do you hate the Bears? Uh, Mina, do you not like talking about the Bears? Do you not find them interesting? Well, Jdunk, you're in, in, in luck because I now find the Bears interesting and I'm going to talk about them a lot now that they have Justin Fields. So, um, Charles, let me rephrase this for you because every week we have to answer this question on ESPN talk shows. When should Justin Fields start? Um, now my immediate reaction was immediately they are playing the Rams Sunday night week one. I am concerned for him. Uh, do you still think he should start week one or should the bears sacrifice Andy Dalton to the Rams week one and then bring in Justin Fields as the savior? Personally, I, I, I think that I I guess like the idea of ruining, like if, if Justin Fields gets ruined over one game against the Rams, like he probably wasn't that good to begin with. So I say, I like if that were the case, like I say, you just play him now. Like if you're, if you're Matt Nagy and, and, and Ryan Pace, you're playing for your careers here. Uh, yes. At least the people who will be in charge as teams. I I know what Andy Dalton looks like. Uh, don't quite know what Justin Fields looked like, but I feel like the floor is higher because at least even if the passing takes a little bit of time to come off, we know that he's an NFL caliber, you know, as a running quarterback. Uh, just due to the athleticism. And I think <laughs> I think it's kind of funny here that, like, no one is just even mentioning that Nick Foles is still on the team. Like, <laughs> he's just, mm. just sitting there eating some cap space. But, uh, hey, uh, uh, Nick, Nick uh, just fill out your quarterback room. But he's just not in the equation at all. But, like, yeah, I, I wouldn't even really mess around with any Dalton unless that Justin Fields gets to training camp, which is like, oh, he's not even close and ready. But other than that, just put him in and, and see what happens. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think that it's pretty obvious. You know, it's funny, interesting. Like, it's funny, interesting. That's a <laughs> not a word. Uh, it's funny and interesting, Charles, because I think a lot of the things the Bears have done on offense already make sense for Justin Fields, particularly the amount of play action um, they used out of a wide zone rushing scheme with Mitch Trubisky. Um, those are things that Justin Fields will be comfortable doing. I think they're probably going to want to add some RPOs, which incidentally Justin Fields didn't really do that much of in college. Um, and obviously more option football, but like that's stuff that they can figure out this summer if he's comfortable with. Like y- you're going to have a sense by September what his comfort level in this offense is. And so my only, like, I guess, hesitation would be like, if it looks like 
he's not there, fine. Don't start him. Like, mm. use your judgment. Um, but I would be surprised if he's not. Yeah, like if you get through training camp and you realize, like, oh, he's performing on par with Andy Dalton, just put him in. Yeah. Uh, okay, <laughs> listener 006 wants to know if the Niners sufficiently address their secondary. I think that's a great question because I think the success of this Niners season will – I mean, obviously it'll depend on Trey Lance, but, like, that's – 1A for them. They brought back a lot of players. Um, Jason Verrett, Manuel Mosley, Kwan Williams, the cornerback. There's a third cornerback, I think, question mark. They did draft yeah. uh, Ambry Thomas. And then Jacuzzi Tart and Jimmy Ward. But, you know, the depth is not great. The injuries are a question mark. And I think it's it's like very precarious is how I would describe it. Yeah, I guess the way that I would look at it is if I could turn injuries off going into a season, I would feel pretty good about yeah. where they are. I mean, like you said, the third spot, I think, with Dante Johnson is probably going to be a spot where teams circle that, like, on their weekly game plan stuff when they play the Niners. But, I mean, Kawan Williams, I think he's, like, one of the better slot corners. He's good. In- yeah, he's good. Uh, Jason Verrett, he – I mean, I thought Verrett was cooked, but he kind of had a, a nice little back. He's had like a nice little bounce back time uh, with the 49ers. And I like Jimmy Ward. I mean, I, and Jaquiski Tar, I think that that's a pretty good safety deal. But like you said, it's just a depth that kind of scares you a little bit. I mean, with Verrett's history of injuries, that's got to scare you. But, you know, I, I do like that little, uh, I shouldn't say little, but like Emmanuel Mosley. I, li- I like him. Uh, even if maybe he struggled a little bit last year, just like the whole body of work, I've been kind of a fan of his stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I was a 49ers fan, like right now, like I'd feel okay, but a little uneasy about how the secondary goes because I think, and I think you say about this a lot of teams, but like if, you know, a, a guy or two gets hurt from your starters, then that's going to be a, a big issue for you. For sure. Final question, Ben J. Arms. Okay. There's been a lot of criticism of the Bengals for taking Chase over Sewell. I'm, I'm laughing because I got into a weird fight with Bengals Twitter, which I don't, I didn't know was like possible, but um, considering the Bengals ranked, this is a very nice review, by the way. Thank you. Considering the Bengals also ranked last in wide receiver separation, explosive pass plays, pass plays seems like wide receiver was also a huge need. Now that the draft is in the books, did the Bengals do enough to address their O-line signing reef and picks or will Joe Burrow spend the next year on his back again? Should the Dolphins have taken Sewell over Waddle? That's a really underrated criticism that I, I feel like the, as much heat as the Bengals have gotten for uh, taking a wide receiver over Sewell, I think the Dolphins should have gotten just as more or if not as much heat. But I'm also Bengals off Dolphins Twitter also hates me for criticizing their offensive line. So this is a double whammy. Um, okay. Starting with this focus on the Bengals really quick before we uh, wrap these questions. I think the chase pick was defensible. I do think they needed a wide receiver. I would have yeah. gone Sewell, but I don't think it was like so dramatic, like, oh my God, I can't believe they did this. Now, I think, as I've said, my, the point I made about the Bengals or was trying to make and apparently failed is that there's a tremendous amount of pressure now on Jonah Williams to not only live up to his draft status, but stay healthy, which has been an issue mm. with him for two seasons. That is the risk you're taking here. I think Jonah Williams could be a good player. Riley Reeves is fine, but he's been hurt. That's yeah. my issue with the Bengals. Yeah, and Jonah is weird. Like, not weird, but it's like a, a one-dimensional kind of player. Like, I think he's a, 
uh, an above average guy in pass pro, but in terms of run blocking, I just I don't quite see it with him. And you know, the funny thing to me was uh, the people who are anti Penny Sewell uh, for the Bengals pick at five. They're like, "Well, we signed Riley Reeves." I'm like, "Okay, and and what? Like, well, what does that have to do with picking Penny Sewell?" Cause, because the way that I thought about it was, you know, you take Sewell, maybe you stick him at left tackle. And then you have Riley Reef and Jonah Duke it out at guard. Maybe you give Jonah the right tackle spot uh, because he's more comfortable at tackle. And, you know, Riley Reef's here on a one-year deal. So I don't really understand why that would prevent you from picking someone who has, like, been lauded as one of the better left tackle prospects to come out uh, in a few years. Like, I thought the Sewell pick was something, like, one of those offensive line picks that maybe upgrades multiple spots with one pick. And uh, when I look at this offensive line, I, I just don't really see why it wouldn't be like one of the bottom 10 units again yeah. uh, in the league. I, you know, hopefully that, you know, for Joe Burrow's sake and, you know, the rest of the offense sake, that Jackson Carmen pick in the second round kind of works out. But Well, th- that's the other thing. Like, I got a lot of heat. They're like, you didn't mention Jackson Carmen. And I'm like, yeah, dude, yeah. Uh, like moving into guard, I, I didn't like him, love him that much as a prospect to begin with. I, I mean – could be wrong, but like, yeah, could you be know, wrong, it's a big but, question mark. Right. It, it's a big question mark. And I guess, you know, they're running, or, or I guess they're going to be a, a good test to see like how much wide receiver talent matters versus, you know, the whole offensive line, because I will give the Bengals this, like if you're in a spot where, where T where T Higgins is like your third best receiver, like your clear third best receiver, that's not a bad spot to be in. I, I think Jamar Chase is going to be a, a damn good pro. I don't, I don't know if he's on this caliber of prospect where like you need to be taking him number five overall, but I don't see why he can't turn to a guy that produces multiple thousand-yard seasons and ends up in the Pro Bowl a few times. Uh, I just look at this offensive line, and unless like Jonah Williams takes a huge step forward and Michael Jordan takes a huge mm-hmm. step forward at left guard, this still seems like a spot where they're going to get beat up when they go play Baltimore and Pittsburgh and Cleveland. I, I just don't see how they have the edges on any of those uh, defensive fronts right now. Yeah, it's a tough division. I I mean, I do have to, I think perhaps like the biggest upgrade is that coach because they um, brought back Frank Pollock and got rid of um, what's his name? Jim Turner is the offensive coach, the line coach who Bengals fans detest based on the performance. I, <laughs> I, I, it's, it does seem like offensive line coach is like one of those weird underrated things. Like when you look at what happened in Cleveland or you look at what happened in Denver, it's like, oh, right. Jim Callahan and Mike Bunchak are really good and got the best out of their players. So perhaps that'll bring about some uh, impactful yeah. change as well. Also, right. hold on, real quick. I don't know if you saw this, but Ian Rapport's tweeting that apparently Julio Jones requested a trade a few months ago. Uh, and they why didn't that get out? Why did the Falcons make it like cap space? Like, why didn't they just say Julio wants out? I would have taken their sign. I don't know. It, it's just uh, yeah, okay. Well, um, yeah. all right. So, other thing I want to talk about uh, is other another story that <laughs> induced a lot of hand wringing. What? Well, it, it, it's interesting because two of the rookie first, both of the first round running backs, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne uh, at minicamp. It was it, it, news came out. They're both training as wide receivers, cross training. Um, one of those stories induced a lot more hand wringing the other. And that was the Etienne one. I think 
the reason largely is just because it's the Jaguars and Urban Meyer has not done a lot to uh, evince trust in his decision making. Uh, yeah, the, and that is totally fair. Um, but I do, I do want to talk about this with you from like a football perspective because I have some thoughts about, so like basically let's, let's focus on ETN here. The idea that, so like when they drafted him, they were, Urban was like, yeah, he's third down back, which made no sense. He's not even good at pass pro, whatever. Now he's talking about him like he's a sort of a wide receiver who also is a running back. I don't know. What do you make of this? And like, do you think there's some utility to using ETN in particular in this role? Uh, I do think there is because the thing with ETN that obviously, you know, Urban Meyer has been obsessed with, I mean, going back to the time at Florida, it's just speed, 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 speed. So right. I, I guess the way when, when I, the first thing that I've thought of when I hear Urban Meyer talk about Travis Etienne, the way he's going to use him is like the way Curtis Samuel was kind of used at uh, Ohio State, where you know he's getting a healthy dose of carries and receive uh, reception. So, in Curtis Samuel's final year at Ohio State, twenty sixteen, uh, he had ninety seven carries and seventy four receptions, uh, fifteen total touchdowns, and about you know sixteen hundred total yards uh, that season. So, I I I think that. When you just look at ETN, if you can find ways to just get him in space in general, uh, that's just su- that's such an easy way to take advantage of his speed. And I think that that's something, at least from a play caller standpoint, with Urban Meyer, that's going to translate from uh, college to the NFL. Uh, whether it's you know putting him out at the slot and running screens with him, running slants with him, uh, cr- like short crossing routes on mesh, like just short passes, easy ways to get the ball in his hand because. You know, as fast as Travis Etienne is, it's not like, you know, you're just going to put him out there and he's going to go, you know, get a clean release on Jalen Ramsey or something and burn him down the field for a big game. Like, that's not the type of receiver I mm. think that Urban Meyer envisions for him when he's talking about. I just kind of thought about someone that's taking short passes, kind of extension of the run game, but maybe can flip and line out a receiver uh, from time to time. And I think just using that rookie mini camp, time where you're not putting pads on, uh, like he's already got handoffs from Trevor Lawrence for four years. So it's not like he, like that's a, a relationship that needs to be, be built. Like just go put him at receiver. Let's see what happens. And obviously he's going to be playing, you know, a, a healthy amount of running back too. I just thought that people kind of latched on to urban saying, Oh, you know, he's going to be a third down back. Well, you didn't pick a, a third down back for the 25th overall pick. Like I know that you can, like, obviously you're going to criticize the pick. And I, I think that it was kind of, a crazy selection too there, but come on, he's not going to use a third down back with a first round pick. So that's, that's yeah. kind of how I think. just use him as like a little short area receiver that can make big plays with the speed. I think what confuses me is like, so when they drafted him, everyone was like, well, you already have James Robinson who was good, who was an undrafted back. Why did you draft another running back? Right? Like this is not a good use of resources. Now I hear what you're saying, but I'm like, you already have LaVisca Chanel. <laughs> Yeah. He, he went from stealing like the like being redundant in one way to potentially being a little bit redundant. This is from a roster construction because from a football perspective, I understand what you're saying. I'm just thinking like, okay, you spent a first rounder to replicate a skill you already have on your roster because I, I, I agree that there is a lot of utility 
in having a hybrid player who's like a almost like a like okay wide receiver first running back second like the idea of having etn on the field lining him up and then motioning him back when you've got defenses you you got a light box is really appealing to me um Mm -hmm. because like the, the benefit of a hybrid player is you have this player who stays on the field, you don't have to sub him out, and as a result, you've constantly got defenses on tilt, right? Like from a personnel perspective. You can get the mismatches you want because you've got him lined up as a wide receiver. Oh, he's going to actually run the football, vice versa. Um, I just think, like, to me, the criticism is more just, it's less like, the the, not the criticism, but what I would criticize is less more like, okay, did you really need to spend a first-round pick on a guy you kind of already had on your roster? I think Livis Chanel is really good. Maybe I'm... On Lavisca Chanel Island, there. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm overrated well, no, a little I, I bit. I mean, the, the biggest reason that I kind of rolled my eyes at the the ETN pick is like you you just got a really good season out of James Robson last yeah. year. Like, like, like you know, as far as we go with the like you know the running backs doesn't matter stuff. Like James Robinson is like the perfect example. You yeah. found him at the UDFA, and he came in and was like <laughs> one of the better running backs in the league. So, like, I was a little bit surprised by that, and. Uh, you know, taking the ball out of James Robinson's hands to me is like a little bit of a questionable move. But I guess, you know, the LaVishka overlap is interesting, but I guess in general, I've, I'm just interested to see what Urban Meyer plans to do with this, you know, stable of skill time. Because I think they do have some guys where they can, you know, have a frisky year on offense as Trevor Lawrence uh, is as good as a player as he's been billed as basically since he was a senior or a junior or senior yeah. in high school. Uh but, you know, just the allocation of resources should definitely be getting an eyebrow raise this year. Yeah, that's sure. that that's the issue, not, like, using ETN this way. I think it is defensible. But, like, let me ask you this straight up. Like, would you rather have – again, this is a roster that I, I went into this draft thinking was, like, pretty underrated. They still have an issue at tight end. We're not going to talk about the tight ends on their roster. But, you know, like, D.H. Ark is good. Like, um yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I like I said, Lavisca Chanel is a good player. James Robinson was a good player. Wouldn't you rather have Elijah Moore, who was still on the board there in that? Like, doesn't don't you feel like that kind of would have rounded out their roster a bit more? Yeah, uh, I don't know. They just it's, it's kind of in a weird spot with Jacksonville. Uh, I, I'm just I'm the biggest thing I'm with Jacksonville that I'm interested to see is like how many games is Urban Meyer coach yeah. <laughs> just in general because he's not always around for sticking around and this is good this is going to be the most losing that he's done maybe ever as a head coach so i'm interested like how he personally handles that yeah I, and look i i do think like i said i think this offense has pretty high upside regardless of how the draft was used i think they've got some real like i think etn is a really talented um fun player i so with, with the Harris one, like that one, you know, less people cared because it was the Steelers. <laughs> um, the pick was criticized not because of Harris, but because it's like your offensive line is bad. It, like it doesn't matter how good Harris is. So, but that kind of raises an interesting question, like the notion of using Harris more as a wide receiver, because we know Ben's that like it's a lot of RPOs, short passes. Like, do you think that makes sense that the Najee Harris like do you think the Najee Harris pick is more defensible if you start thinking of him about him as another wide receiver no uh I don't 
think it is at all. I just because of where the, the Steelers are as a team, like yeah. to me, the the Najee Harris pick was just such an, an egregious example of like poor self scouting and, and not being honest with yourself about where you are as a franchise. I mean, you know, there, there, there wasn't a quarterback worth taking at 24 and they didn't feel like trading up. So, and, and honestly, financially, you kind of got to run him back with Big Ben for one more year. So fine, like quarterbacks out of the equation, but like everything else should have been on the board, whether it's a wide receiver or an offensive lineman. I think both of those positions would make a lot more sense than Najee Harris because I, I mean, I'm personally, I was a huge fan of Najee Harris, the prospect coming out of Alabama. Uh, just like a really complete back, like maybe except for for pass pro stuff, but just as a weapon out of the backfield as a runner, I I thought he was great. But when you put Najee Harris on the Steelers' offense, like what projections does that change for you? Like to me, Najee Harris is someone he's like the final piece on an offense that's already good, not an offense that's like taking steps back. So it was like, well, we need to get back to running the ball every play because I don't I don't think they have the horses on the offensive line to kind of play that style of football. And mm. I guess like the, the thing that makes sense with some of the stuff where you see Najee Harris is uh, playing X receiver at rookie minicamp is, you know, the Steelers are a team mainly just due to Ben Roethlisberger's like lack of mobility. Like they've become a team that plays a lot of empty and they're just pointing yeah. and shooting and getting these short games. And pew, pew, pew. Right. Right. Like it's, 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 Chris Paul point guard offense without like the high tier playmaking stuff. Uh, And, you know, when you're going to go and and play empty, a lot of times that running back is going to be out there at X. And uh, I imagine that Najee Harris is going to spend, you know, a a fair amount of time split out wide just because that's really the only way that big Ben can play now. But as a whole, like, I just don't see how you can make this pick defensible because I don't think it changes anything about the Steelers outlook for the season. And that's what you're trying to do with first-round picks. You're trying to make a big difference for your upcoming season. I don't think they did that. You think they should have taken Creed Humphrey? Or... Yeah, I think they should have yeah. taken Creed, Creed Humphrey there. I thought that would have been a great pick. Um, I was talking a little bit to our mutual friend Nate Tice about this, like the notion of running back value being augmented by pass-catching ability. Because statistically – you cannot make a case for it. Like every, like I was just grabbing Alvin Kamara's utility as a, as a pass catcher and EPA per play success rate, first downs per pass attempt, basically all of the nuanced statistics that try to, that aren't just like raw yards or whatever, but like, okay, can we get first downs with this guy? Can he advance the ball and help us avoid negative plays? All of those just for Alvin Kamara, are worse than every average production you get out of wide receivers on every team, every right. like it would rank below. However, and this is kind of what, what Nate and I were talking about. It does help your run game, you know, like all the good pass catching backs, their production statistically catching the ball is diminished by the fact that they're eating check downs and crappy, you know, negative plays. But beyond that, it helps him as a back, a rusher, because of the threat that he's going to leak out and catch a pass. So I think that's something that's probably not captured by his production as a pass catcher. So, you know, I think if you were to say, okay, what is the benefit of Najee 
catching passes. That could be it. I don't think it makes the pick defensible, <laughs> but I do think his ability, and he's a very good pass catcher, by the way. Um, yeah. I think that could help him running the football, but I still don't think offenses are going to be afraid of Pittsburgh on that front or defensive. Yeah, front. it'll help him running the football, but, you know, it, it, it's still helping him overcome, like, what's already such a great challenge for him. Like, it, it'll help, but I'm not sure if it's going to help in a way where, you know, Pittsburgh's running game becomes, like, a positive thing for their offense. And, you know, I get why Steelers fans – look at what they had last year and be like, oh, no, our running back stable is not good enough here. We need to do something about that. And I would agree with that. Uh, but I just don't think that this was the type of move that you need to make. And, you know, going back to some of the Alvin Kamara stuff, obviously he's just a tremendous player, one of my favorite players to watch in the league. You know, Dynamite pick is a third-round pick, and I'm, I'm glad that he got paid. But to me, still the engine of that running game is the offensive line. I mean, they've had one of the best offensive lines in the league for quite some time now. Uh Tom Armstead and Ryan Ramstick are like about as good as it gets when it comes to bookend tackles. And they've had some pretty good interior play too. Uh, maybe I'll have some mishaps by Andres Pete. So uh, that, that to me is kind of the separator where the, the C, the Steelers, they just do not have that level of talent on the offensive line right now. And, and I think that's going to be their biggest issue outside of big Ben for the coming season. Um. Yeah, see, it's not anti-running back. It's pro-offensive line. It's all about rebranding. I need, like, we the the anti-running back argument needs, to, needs like, a political spin artist to it, – it's about centers matter, not running backs don't matter. Um, let's wrap with you, – you wanted to criticize the Titans, but I feel like this podcast has been so negative that I'm going to spin it. It's been gonna, so sad. <laughs> I'm going to – I know, because of the Julio stuff. I'm going to spin it in a positive way. The Titans and the Colts are two teams we mentioned as potential destinations for Julio. Do you think that if the Titans get Julio, they can overtake the Colts to win the division? Um, because the Titans have a we we I've already like we we know why the case for aggression, loss of coaching, uh, loss of both Johnny Smith and Corey Davis, Dennis Kelly, a lot of issues on that offense, right? They do yeah. get, you know, a healthy season out of Taylor Lewan. So, but let me ask you this. So the biggest crit- criticism of them is play calling and skill player. Julio and A.J. Brown. It, 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 that's, that, that would be one of the most, like, in physically imposing receiver groups that I can remember in quite some time because like, both of the guys are big and fast and uh, – you know, they can make plays after catch, make plays at the catch point. Like, that'd be a lot of fun. And honestly, I know that Arthur Smith is a great play caller. And the more that I've gone back and watched that Titans offense, I mean, he was just amazing. And losing him uh, is going to end up hurting. But, you know, I think Ryan Tannehill might be a little bit better than people give him credit for. Because it's, to me, when I look at the Arthur Smith offense, there's a lot of play action. But it's play action in a way that kind of still makes a quarterback. That still – still, uh, relies on the quarterback to make tough throws. Like Ryan Tannehill, he's making a lot of big throws down the field. Uh, even if they're coming off of play action, like it's still, you know, a, like a play where you have a crosser and a, a defensive back's right on the wide receiver hip. Like that can still be a tough throw. So I do think that maybe their floor isn't quite as low as it's supposed to be. But like if you got Julio Jones in there with, <laughs> uh, you know, if you got Julio Jones in there, as much as opinions say, with A.J. Brown, like that's a, 
that's a team that should be able to compete with the AFC South because I'm just not sold that trading for Carson Wentz was the right move for the Colts. And also like an underrated thing that I don't think gets enough play with the Carson Wentz trade is like, he's a pretty clear downgrade from where Phillip Rivers was last year. So like, you know, I don't think Carson Wentz is going to continue playing like the worst quarterback that we've ever seen, but uh, I, I don't think that it's a, a lock that he ends up playing, you know, like a top 12-ish quarterback like Philip Rivers did last year. So uh, if the Titans were able to pull off a trade like that, I think that it'd be fair for them to be considered one of the favorites for the division. Yeah, you know, I already think it's, I mean, AFC South is very much up for grabs. And it is, I, I don't think it's too dramatic to say that if Julio to, was to land on one of those teams, it would swing the division. Um Titans, tighten up. Go get go get him. You don't have any money, but you'll figure it out, I guess. All right. As always, let's wrap with a few questions for our guest. Here we go. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Charles, the NBA playoffs are happening. They were really exciting. I watched like approximately 58 hours of football this weekend. That's more hours than are in a weekend, but it felt like it. My butt fused to the couch. I don't know. Do you watch? Do you, do you watch a lot of basketball? Uh, actually, while I was uh, visiting my parents in Charlotte this weekend, I've watched almost every Hornets game just because Lamella was so excited. And I'm, obviously, I'm a big LeBron fan. So, yeah, I, I watch a good amount of basketball. Okay. Just want a prediction out of you. Who wins the NBA Finals? Um, I think I'm – I hate to do this because my buddy Tyler Times is going to get all over me for saying this, but I actually think the Sixers have a pretty good chance to win. Like, I know, I know. I just I just love Joel Embiid, and I think his game's so complete. And also, I'm just not going to pick the Nets in this podcast. So. Wow. All right. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, question two. <laughs> this is annoying. I already asked you to do it for Justin Fields. When does Mac Jones start, if you had to make a prediction right now? Not when should he start, but when will he start? Um, I I don't – Okay, so my prediction for Matt Jones starting is, like, the first bad, like, two-game stretch that Cam Newton has. I don't know when in the season that's going to come, but I'll say, like, midseason for Matt Jones. And I I don't think that he's going to open the season as a starter. Uh, I think they're going to give Cam a chance to play. But, you know, just Mm -hmm. the history of quarterbacks in the first round outside of Mahomes, which was just, like, kind of a completely different situation to me, uh, I don't really see – why Mac Jones wouldn't play at some point this year, even if I, I don't think he's uh, as good as Cam Newton. They have Saints and Bucks in weeks three and four. I could, And then they get Texans, Cowboys, Jets, super soft. I could see, could see them yeah. giving him those. It's, it's, really, it's really fun to talk about, like, my favorite players leaving or being benched in my birthday week. My birthday's on Wednesday, and this is the gift that the Falcons give me. Hey, we're going to trade Julio Jones. Oh, thanks. How old are you turning? Uh, 27. Okay. Question four. Uh, one thing I've enjoyed about the NBA playoffs is just like the crowds and it's made me really want to go to an NBA game. What is a sports event you're looking forward to attending in a post-vax world? 
Um, I'm going to the Knicks Hawks game on Wednesday. Oh snap! Counts. Really? Yeah. Are you uh, so you're not a Hawks? You're a Falcons fan, but not a Hawks fan? Uh, no, not really. I'm more of a Hornets fan, but I'll be dressed uh, in all Atlanta gear on Wednesday just to heckle some Knicks fans and hope I make out of uh, Madison Square Garden alive. So that's one thing I'm li- really looking forward to because the last uh, <laughs> the last sporting event I went to was Jets 49ers week two, and the first play of the game, Raheem Mostert uh, took an, took the ball 80 yards on a sweep for a touchdown, and I remember sitting in the press box afterwards and we're waiting for a link for Adam Gay's press conference to start. And I'm like, why am I at this game? Like, I can do all this from home if we're not going to get any access to see people face to face. So uh, that was the last uh, Jets game. or That was the last sporting event I went to. So uh, I'm looking forward to this Knicks Talks game on Wednesday. I really enjoy Trey Young's, like, villain status. Oh, it, it's awesome. That When he was, <laughs> you know, when he was heckling the crowd last night, after that, um, that was great. Tremendous. Um, okay, last question, as always, comes from Lenny. Lenny heard the news that wide receivers can now wear any number, I think 1 through 49, and then 80 through 89 is the new rule. Uh, he just wants to know, when Julio joins the Patriots, do you think he should wear a 28 or 3? <laughs> I think he should stay wearing number 11, because uh, he's going to stay with the Falcons, and everything's going to turn out happy, and uh, we're going to have some fun over the next few years, and I'm not going to cry. On June 1st. So 28. 28. I got it. All right. 28. 28. Yeah. 28.